journey with me in the mind of a medic. Oh, journey with me in the mind of a medic. Cause that's my everyday. Oh, in the mind of a medic. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a medic's mind. Hopefully, you're all doing well. I'm doing all right. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode of a medic's mind, the podcast. Uh, yeah. So what to tell you about, um, man, I had a weird thought the other day. Uh, I was on hold for an excessive period of time and I hate being on hold. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Um, but, um, as many of you know, a few months back, uh, several months now, I decided to uh, get my driver's license back. And part of my doing that because of what I had done with respect to getting a DUI was I had to get a breathalyzer installed into the vehicle. So basically, I had to inflate my vehicle every time I wanted to drive. And uh, that is coming to an end. It's coming to an end on March 19th. But you have to go and get uh, get your, your machine um, calibrated every month or two. And so I had an appointment coming up, but I lost my paperwork. So I didn't know exactly when the appointment was. And if you miss the appointment, they lock your vehicle down and you have to get it towed. So it was kind of imperative that I find out when this appointment was. And so uh, my girlfriend and I, Sheena, we're on our way into Vernon uh, for an appointment. Uh, and I decided that I'm going to phone uh, Smart Start Canada and uh, see if they can get me my appointment uh, time. So I phone in and of course you have to press like 17 numbers just to get to the menu of where you need to be. And then you have to press two more numbers in order to just be put on hold for an exceedingly long period of time. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So after 27, after, after typing in pi, essentially, uh, I got put on hold and, uh, <laughs> and I was just waiting and I'm listening and it's, it's, it's as you would expect, you know, that uh, let's call it elevator music comes on. And it's just playing. And while I'm sitting there on hold, I start thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, imagine being the guy, you know, that did this, right? Like, you're the guy that made this music, right? So just admit, because like, there's no, A, first off, there's no way that guy's married. Okay. He is single. Just, he is. Just, he is. Okay. But now, now, t now imagine, because we live in a new age, we live in the 2020s, online dating isn't so much so much of a taboo topic. So this guy goes on an online date. Can you imagine this for a second? Just put this in your head. First off, this is your job. This is what you do. You put you put the music, you you, you write it, you you produce it, you, you play it, and you you give it to people to put on, on hold, right? So imagine you're on a date, like this guy's on a date, and he's sitting there, and they're chatting, and she goes, oh... What do you do for work? And this this guy has the audacity to say, "Oh, uh, me? Well, uh, I'm a musician." Oh my God! Really? Uh, anything I might have heard? Oh, probably. Have you ever been on hold? Right? Just a minute. Like, that's your thing. That's the guy. You know? <laughs> anything ever? Yeah. Have you ever been on hold? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been on hold. Yeah, well, uh, that's me. I'm the little drums and bad guitar. Yeah, no, so life isn't so bad. At least we're not that guy, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I, it just, I, it came to me when I was on hold. I was just thinking about it. And I'm like, all right, okay. All right, here we go. 
Um, so here's something I need to tell you guys about. Um, something a lot more, a lot more uh, weighted and meaningful and impactful. Uh, so Christmas time has passed. But over this Christmas season, something remarkable happened to me and uh, something with with an incredibly incalculable amount of serendipity uh, came across my life. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it and then I'm going to uh, tell you the story. And uh, And so the short version is uh, I made acquaintances with a guy online uh, via my book. What I mean by that is he bought my book, he read my book, and he reached out to me to let me know how he feels about the book. Um, and then he, he told me a little bit of information about himself. Now, he is an Afghanistan veteran uh, and an actively working paramedic out in Ontario. And uh, and and when he read the chapter about Colin, um, he he took it upon himself to send me something that he felt was mine. And what he sent me was an old t-shirt that belonged to Colin that Colin had with him in Afghanistan. And, um, I'll tell you more. The story will tell you more, but when I got that shirt in the mail, um, obviously a torrent of tears came to me and, uh, as well as a deluge of emotion, uh, befell me and, and, uh, over the, the, the days that, uh, precipitated that, um, over the day or sorry, over the days that followed that, uh, I did what I did what I always do. And I, I wrote, right. Um, and I wrote this story. I wrote this piece called the shirt, which is what I'll read for you soon. Um, and I posted that into the ether of online, uh, because I feel like it's an important story to tell. Not only does it tell of, uh, of, um, Phil, that's the name of the soldier that, uh, sent me the shirt. It tell, speaks of his character and his determination and, uh, and his reverence for, for Colin, a guy he had never met. He never met Colin. He didn't know Colin, but, um, you know, some pretty remarkable things happened, uh, that make, uh, Colin and Phil connected forever. And now, um, through this event, Phil and I are now connected forever. He is a brother to me and, uh, and this will all make sense more in the story, but, um, I'm going to play for you first an interview that I had because when I wrote this thing online and posted it into the ether, I never know who's going to read it. I never know where it's going to go. Well, it happened to go to the CBC. A reporter from the CBC came across my uh, my writing and she reached out to me and said, hey, I would love to talk to you further about this. And she did. And so uh, we had an interview and I'm going to play that for you right now. And I hope you guys enjoy it. And then uh, in the link in the description, I will post the uh, the um, uh, the interview that Phil later had with uh, with the reporter as well. So I'm going to play that for you guys now, and then I will play you the shirt, the piece that I wrote that got this interview to take place. So here it is, my interview on the CBC. Well, there are moments in our lives destined to become unforgettable. Happenstances of heartbreak, elation, fear, loss, innocence, and so on, whatever it may be, we all have them, we've all experienced them, and in a way, it's what binds us. So begins a post written by our next guest about an unexpected gift that arrived in the mail over the holidays, a slightly dirty and well-worn Edmonton Oilers t-shirt worn by a dear friend more than 13 years ago. That friend was killed by an explosive device while serving as a military medic in Afghanistan. Matthew Hennigan is on the line with us now from Falkland. Hello there. 
Hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. So I, I began by reading uh, a detailed and emotional post that uh, you composed uh, about how you came to be in possession of this T-shirt. Can we just, let's just start at the beginning. Can you talk to us about how you knew uh, Private Colin Wilmot? Sure, yeah. So um, Colin and I, we served together in uh, CFB Edmonton. Um, he came to the unit a short time after I'd already been uh, posted there. Um, and he came in and uh, just uh, he had this infectious happiness about him and instantly uh, was an easy guy to bond with. And um, I became very, very quick friends with, uh, with Colin uh, during his time in Edmonton and during our time uh, doing driving courses and doing pre-deployment training and other things like that. So I he became a very, very dear friend very quickly. And you, you were friends both on the job and off the job too, right? That's right. Yeah, we would hang out uh, on our on our off hours, the, the limited off hours that we did have during those times. Uh, but we would hang out and uh, sometimes go to the go to the local pubs, or he'd come over to my house and we'd watch uh, you know watch Edmonton Oilers hockey games and play some video games and uh, kind of just just enjoy each other's company and uh, on the base and off the base as well. And you faced some significant struggles as well, leading to what would have been your first deployment to Afghanistan, I believe. But uh, uh, Private Wilmont uh, ended up, he did go. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that unfolded? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I uh, had conducted uh, essentially all the pre-deployment training and was slated to uh, deploy in early 2008. It would have been called Task Force 01 of 08. Um, But I was uh, going through and experiencing some um, some difficulties in my personal life, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stress uh, behind the scenes, and I was also um, drinking quite heavily, just from uh, a myriad of different different circumstances that were ongoing in my life, and sort of unbeknown to my uh, commanding staff. And um, when you sit down for your uh, for your kind of pre-deployment interviews and checkpoints and stuff, they kind of ask you how you're doing and they knew that I was struggling a bit and uh, they had asked me, Hey, you know, kind of what's going on. This isn't really like you. You're starting to kind of get in some administrative troubles. What's, what's going on. And I was open and honest with them about uh, some of the struggles I was going through at home. And um, they had said, Hey, well, you know, if you are unable to deploy on this specific tour, like we'd support uh, you going on a different one and, and we'll support you staying at home and, and getting the kind of help that you might need. And so I, I did not end up deploying, but um, uh, Colin, who was originally an alternate for the tour, which means he wasn't scheduled to to go, um, ended up uh, pushing and fighting and uh, demanding um, in very polite terms to, to be sent on the tour, and, and he ended up uh, deploying. So almost in a way kind of took your place? It feels like that. I, you know, through therapy and through... Um, talking with, uh, I still, I'm still friends with my, uh, my commanding officer and, yeah. uh, he assures me that, that that's not the case. He said, you know, Colin would have likely gone anyway. And that, uh, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not something that I should, that I should bear, but it is something that I do struggle with a lot. Um, cause it does feel that way to me, um, in a lot of ways. And I, it's something I struggle with, but I'm, I'm working on it. Um, and trying to get, uh, trying to gain a little more peace through that day by day. Because he did die on that tour. Can you tell us what happened? Um, unfortunately, yes, he he did die. He um, 
So Colin was an intensely motivated individual, and when he deployed, he was um, with um, a combat uh, unit. Um, so he wasn't just at a, a unit medical stationer in in, uh, in the hospital in Kandahar. He was actually out in the front lines with uh, with a combat element. And uh, my understanding is that there was an unseen improvised explosive device that uh, was either detonated or um, just happened to go off by his proximity to it, and unfortunately, um, he uh, he was killed by that. Mm. Uh, where were you when you found out he had died? So I uh, <clears throat> I was back in Edmonton, and uh, I was just about to uh, start my night shift, um, and uh, a call from uh, somebody that was still serving in the unit, and he was still currently. Um, station in CFP Edmonton hadn't deployed uh, as of yet, phoned to let me know because he felt like I should know before before the media broke it. And uh, and he phoned to relay the news and it was, um, it's, it's tough to put into words um, what that phone call was like, but uh, it was, it was a really hard day um, to put it as sort of mildly as I possibly can. Mm. Uh, you wrote a book about your journey and you included Colin's story. Can you tell us why that was important to you? Yeah, I, uh, I think, I mean, writing for me has been something that a lot of times, and I think a lot of people can relate when you're, when you're highly stressed or when you're going through those moments in life where everything seems to be sort of piling upon you. Sometimes it can feel really hard to breathe and really hard to think and move, and you sort of feel somewhat directionless. And I find for me, writing gives me an opportunity to to kind of slow things down for a moment and to give me some sense of control and give whatever's happening around me a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in doing that, it helps me process things. And so when it came to to Colin um, and, and the the prospect of actually writing a book, it felt important for me to not only write about him because how he impacted me in life, but also how his absence impacts me um, now through to today. And um, in a way, I felt like writing about him and not knowing who who picks up the book, I, I don't know who buys the book or, or happens to read it, but when they get to Colin's chapter, for those few minutes that they're they're flipping through the pages, Colin Colin's alive again for just a few more minutes, and and to me that felt like a really worthy undertaking, and um, and it was important to me. Mm. So in a way that leads us uh, to the Edmonton Oilers shirt that you got in the mail. Tell us how it happened. Yeah, I'll try to keep my eyes dry when I do it. Um, I've got my Kleenex out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So with with my book uh, being out in the public sphere and not knowing who reads it, um, it happened to be that a wonderful human being by the name of Phil um, picked up my book and read it and felt compelled to reach out to me via social media. Um, and uh, and he started out just by thanking me for writing it. He said, thanks for writing the book and for putting into words what so many of us feel. And um, said that uh, you know he could relate to it on on different levels, and then he explained a little bit about how he's 
currently an active paramedic out in Ontario and how he also um, was a medic in the Army and had deployed overseas. So I, in turn, thanked him for his service and his support for, for buying the book. And uh, just before Christmas time, he messaged me and said, um, hey, may I have your address? I have something that belongs to you. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really think much of it. I thought maybe he was going to send me, like, a, a paramedic unit patch or something, just as sort of a camaraderie, uh, you know, symbolism that we, in the first responder community and military community, do to one another every now and then. And uh, on December 16th, I, I went to the mail and uh, got the package, and I opened it up, and it was this... Uh, kind of dust-stained T-shirt, very sweat-riddled and uh, kind of old, and it was an Edmonton Oilers shirt, and uh, tucked in beside it was a note, and I picked up the note, and Phil um, articulates this beautiful story about how um, when he was deployed to Afghanistan, he actually was assigned to Collins Outpost um, and also assigned to Collins Bunk, and in that outpost was this... Edmonton Oilers t-shirt that nobody had wanted to get rid of because it was Collins. It was his favorite team and it was sort of the last sort of um, tangible piece of, of Colin out in that area. And uh, he knew that it was important so he kept it with him um, because he knew that when his tour was, was leading to an end that uh, the outpost was scheduled to be um, either moved or restructured and he didn't want it to be thrown out or um, you know discarded in some way so he kept it with the intention of giving it to one of Colin's family members and uh, when he came back home he reached out to some family members and they um, respectfully declined just because they um, you know it was it, it's it's a tough thing to to kind of look at and and be reminded of and they had their own um, sort of reasons but they just said you know I'm sure you'll find a home for it thank you and um, he just kept it for all these years and and until reading my book, um, he felt after reading it that um, that the shirt was mine, and uh, and so he took it upon himself to uh, to send it out, <clears throat> send it out to me. So Colin came home for Christmas, I guess. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what the letter said? Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, the last paragraph here is is pretty good. Here from him, he's he's actually quite a writer himself. Hmm. He uh, he said. Uh, since I've had this shirt in my possession, looking to pass it along to the right person, someone who, who would find significance in having it, I never met Colin, and as such, I believe that I should never be the permanent custodian of the shirt. But I believe I found that person in you. I hope you'll feel some of Colin's vibes on it. And I truly hope it brings you happy memories of your friend. Most sincerely and respectfully, Philip. What was your reaction when you first opened that that uh, that package in the mail and read that letter? Uh, well, it, it was I. I uh, there was a lot of crying mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of confusion to my poor girlfriend sitting beside me because she had no idea what was going on. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it was somewhat surreal um, because it's just not something I had ever envisioned happening and uh not only the power behind his words but also the symbolism in in what time of year it was and you know christmas time i always kind of think about the boys and and you know the ones that that just didn't end up making it home and it's always kind of a bittersweet time of year and Mm -hmm. 
it was it was a beautiful and heartbreaking moment all at the same time. What do you think that says? I mean, he he died in in two thousand and eight, and all these years later, that this this t shirt was still around, uh, and Phil had it with him and didn't had never met Colin, um, and then buys your book not not realizing that some of Colin's story was in there. I just, and now here, here he is sending it to you. Like, I'm just wondering what you, what you make of this, these string of circumstances. Well, the life uh, in my experiences have, have uh, very funny circum, uh, very funny serendipities sometimes, you know, and uh, the, the first responder world and the, the, you know, the military and first responder world is, is very small and tight knit and I think a lot of it speaks to Phil's character and to who Phil is and, you know, the kind of genuine soul that he possesses. Um, the fact that he, like you said, he didn't know Colin, but he knew the significance that this shirt would play in somebody's life. And so the fact that, you know, he held it for this long and, and looked after it as well as it has been, um, is a testament to who he is and how important he thinks um, Colin's life was. And uh, I think I think it's just one of those little life's blessings um, that kind of happen every now and then. And it, it truly, it's a beautiful, beautiful gesture and a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. What do you think Colin would think of all this? Yeah, I, <laughs> Colin was a pretty humble guy. I think... Uh, uh, I think he might be a little bit awkward by it all. Um, he, he was never one to push himself into the into the limelight. Um, so I think uh, I think he'd be tickled by it. To be honest, he'd probably have that you know goofy million dollar smile that he had and uh, kind of doing the aw shucks sort of thing. I, I think that would uh, probably be uh, Colin's reaction and, and gratitude. Um, he was always a pretty grateful guy when when people did stuff for him. So I think he'd. He'd be pretty humbled by it and, and grateful for it. Uh, and I understand you have some some hopes for this T-shirt. I do, yeah. <laughs> so shortly after receiving the shirt, um, because I, I didn't want to just leave it in a Ziploc bag, I, I don't think that's befitting of, of his legacy either. I my goal and my hope after writing the story and kind of posting it onto the ether of online was I really would like to give it to the Edmonton Oilers organization and gift it to them um, for them to have. And I, in doing that, I'd like to also give them the letter that Phil wrote and the story that I wrote and and just so they can have it and, and know not only how important the Oilers organization was to him, but just how important he was to the country and why we get to do the things that we do and why we get to enjoy, you know, uh, Omicron notwithstanding, but going to hockey games and enjoying that kind of freedom and it comes from people like Colin and um, and I, I just think it's a, I think it's a better place for him to be so that's my hope is to find a way to make the Oilers organization aware of this um, this shirt and I think it's theirs uh, well let's try and get the word out shall we I <laughs> That would be amazing. Yeah. Hey, Matthew, I've uh, enjoyed our conversation. I'm grateful that uh, you shared your thoughts and your emotions with us and uh, Colin's story as well. So thank you very much for this. Thank you for giving me the time and thank you for letting me introduce you to him. Uh, Take good care. You too. Bye-bye.
That's uh, Matthew Hennigan. He's in Falkland. His book, A Medic's Mind, Love, Loss, and All Things in Between is published. Okay, yeah. So uh, that was that was quite the thing, man. Uh, what an experience that was to, to to happen, you know, to have Phil come out and, uh, and, and connect with me that way. Uh, unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. It really is. Uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, this, the, what I'm about to read for you now is called the shirt and it is what spawned this interview to take place. So here it is without further ado, this is the shirt. There are moments in our lives destined to become unforgettable. Happenstances of heartbreak, elation, fear, loss, innocence, and so on. Whatever it may be, we all have them. We've all experienced them. In a way, it's what binds us, transcends all barriers. No matter the background, ethnicity, or socioeconomic upbringing, we can all relate to someone on one plane or another. It's just whether we choose to or not. And oftentimes, the bustle of this life dictates the latter. But not always. But don't give up. Just hold on tight. It'll be alright. I have something that I want to tell you about. And on its surface, it may seem irrelevant to what I've already said. But I assure you, it's very much intertwined. It's about my shirt. Actually, that's a lie. It's not my shirt. I mean, technically, I'm in possession of said shirt, and by all accounts, likely will be for the remainder of my days. But it didn't start out as mine. But I'd like to tell you about it all the same. In order to do that, I have to take you back. Back to a warm spring day in the north end of Edmonton. The sky was a piercing shade of blue that morning. An overlooking herd of wayfaring cotton swabs migrated slowly from one end of the ether to the other. By all accounts, a perfect morning. But only if I choose to neglectfully withhold from you the knowledge of the horrific hangover that crippled my insides that very same morning. And to make things worse, there was no avoiding what was to come. A morning run. Not a run of my choosing. I'm not a sadist. You see, back then, all those years ago, I was still young, dumb, and full of booze, standing rank and file within the confines of the army. The boys and I had gotten together the night previous and decided that carrying the motto of just one more drink was a good idea. And it was, at the time. Come morning, however, well, let's just say there have only been a handful of times in my life where death seemed like a viable option. And this was one of them. Our commanding officer was a man carved from stone. I swear this man did push-ups in his sleep and would run uphill both ways to and from work if geography allowed for it. But since it didn't, he chose to run us around the outskirts of the base at a pace best described as superhuman instead, and we had to keep up. 
By the time the run was over and we had gotten back to base, I felt my check liver light come on and collapsed with controlled descent to the cold cement floor of the hangar bay. Okay, partner up, do some stretches and regroup back here no later than uh, 0930. The CO's voice careened throughout the place. His volume didn't help my headache. Hey, Henny, stretch it out. Wilmot tossed his query as he plopped down beside me. Holy heck, Hennigan, you smell like a brewery, brother. Fun night? I flicked my head, informing him that yes, last night was great. But the morning? The morning was hell. Yeah, yeah it wasn't too bad. Uh, yeah, no, I might throw up in my shoe. He laughed, so I smiled. Getting a laugh from Colin Wilmot wasn't a hard feat, but an enjoyable one. He'd gotten to the unit a short time after I had. We bonded rather quickly. Not so much because we were into the same things. For the most part, we weren't. An example would be that he was as fit as a fiddle and enjoyed pushing himself to get fitter, better, faster, and stronger. Whereas I, well, I liked craft beers. But that didn't matter. Our unspoken selves just meshed with one another. He was a good man and believed me to be one as well. My typical mornings when arriving at work generally consisted of a friendly shoulder slap to welcome me in for the day. A shoulder slap accompanied by his million dollar smirk. He had the face of a boy, not so much a man, but you never doubted his capabilities. Colin and I spent time together off base too. He would come to my place and we would play video games, watch hockey and cheer on the Oilers. snack on homemade charcuterie boards, and watch films highlighted by our favorite actresses. By the way, Scarlett Johansson, if you happen to read this, or hear this, what's up? Yeah, life was good. It was busy. Our unit was gearing up for deployment to Afghanistan, so operational tempo with respect to field deployments and specialty training courses was abundant. But life was overall good. A healthy balance of work and play and Colin was beside me for most of it. Or should I say, I was next to him. You see, I didn't deploy. He did. I left the army in July of 2008. July 2nd, actually. I became a paramedic and decided to stay countryside. But on July 6th of that year, a call would come and it would shake not only my phone, but the very foundation of who I was as well. A friend who was still serving called to inform me that Colin, Private Colin Wilmot, was killed overseas by an explosive device. The world around me slowed down for a moment. My mind questioned the reality in front of it, wondering if this was just another of my horrid nightmares. But no matter how hard I bit the inside of my cheek or pinched my skin, I remained in the hell of that moment. Colin really was dead. Is. Dead. Because I was out of the army, I could not attend his funeral. I did, however, watch the news with his likeness plastered to the screen. I observed from a bar stool as my friend's body was transported within a motorcade of black. He lay in a casket draped by the red and white of our flag. 
For years, I blamed myself for his death. You see, Colin was an alternate for the tour to Afghanistan, meaning he was not slated to go unless an opening should arise. And with my leaving the army and foregoing my position as a dismounted medic, a position that Colin later filled, I felt as though, I felt as though I killed him. Some days I still struggle with it. Though everyone close to me croons comforting words of contrary, some days are harder than others. Some days are really hard, actually. I miss his face, his goofy mannerisms, his wit and willingness to be around for any and all who may need a friend. Colin was one of the best, the absolute best of us as humans. And I, well, I struggled for many years after his death and the deaths of our other fallen comrades. And with the mounting trauma faced on the front lines of emergency patient care as a paramedic, I struggled further. A failing relationship compounded these unexpressed traumas until I eventually ended up in handcuffs, sitting in the back of a police cruiser. I had just failed a roadside sobriety test. No more driving for me. This wasn't rock bottom though. Life had some more pitfalls to bestow. My mother would die by way of suicide in 2017. Three short years later, my big sister would fall to the same fate. Life was a little rough for quite some time. In order to combat all that I was grappling with, I started writing. I wrote so much that a Canadian publisher contacted me and said that they would like to publish my story. And so I wrote a book. And in that book, I speak of Colin. I tell the world of who he was, how lucky we were to have had him. And in doing that, I laid him to rest a little in my mind. I stopped drinking and started living, honoring sacrifices such as his by becoming a better version of myself than I ever thought possible. My book, my story resonated with people from all over the world. I received emails, private messages over social media, informing me of how my words, although mine, are deeply relatable to so many. People whom I have never met now join me in the fraternity of healing souls. And this past Christmas, one such soul would reach out to me. His message started off by thanking me for writing the book. He would inform me that he was an Afghanistan veteran, a medic, and here in Canada, an actively working paramedic. He spoke ephemerally about his own journey. He was humble and kind in his words. He then relayed to me that he would like my mailing address, as he was in possession of something that belonged to me. I acquiesced. After a couple of weeks and falling victim to the rush of the Christmas season, I'd forgotten all about our text conversation. That is, until one snowy afternoon when my girlfriend Sheena and I went to check the mail. I had a package. One that furrowed my brow. Remember, I'd forgotten all about it. The label on the package let me know that a man named Phil sent me something from over 3,000 kilometers away. As my fingers tore into the package, my perplexity swelled. Inside the package was a dirt-stained t-shirt, carefully folded into a Ziploc bag. Accompanying this peculiar delivery was a note folded only once. I withdrew it and began reading while still buckled in the passenger side of Sheena Subaru. The more my eyes trundled over the typed lettering, the more they began to sting. Tears were inevitable. Unbeknown to me, what Phil had sent me, claiming that it was mine, was an old Edmonton Oilers t-shirt that had once belonged to Colin. It was stained by dirt 
because even with the confrontation of war, Colin refused to leave his favorite team at home. Phil deployed to Afghanistan sometime later, and he was then stationed at a FOB, or Forward Observation Base, the very same where Colin had once been. Further serendipity, Phil was assigned to Colin's old bunk, hence the shirt. Near the end of Phil's tour, he was informed that the base would be taken over by another unit and likely moved to another location. Fearing that Colin's Edmonton Oilers t-shirt would become lost in the shuffle, he picked it up and carried it with him for the rest of the tour. His intent was to bring it home and give it over to Colin's family. He even reached out to a few of the Wilmots. They thanked him, but ultimately the shirt remained in his care from 2008 onward. That is until December 16th of 2021, the day I got the mail. Colin had come home for Christmas. So you see, there are moments in this life destined to become unforgettable. And this is one. And though Phil and I have never met, we can relate. We can bond. Phil is now family to me. Brother Phil. Let's go, Oilers. Let's go. I've been running round in circles Chasing my tail and lost my way Seeking shelter in different corners Never finding a place to stay Somehow ended up here on the ground Brother, help me up, I've fallen down I know that I've hurt the ones that I hold dear The ones I love Thought that I would find the answers Drinking till my feet felt numb Just like father did when I was young I don't know how I could be so dumb I've been lost far too long I can't see I'm trapped in darkness Life has turned it back on me it seems Brother, help me up, I've fallen Like someone who's meant to be Somewhere else Caught inside a state of mind Where nothing is really making sense That's why I've been left here on the ground Sister, help me up I've fallen down I've been lost Help me up.
Yeah.